welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And our guest today is Sue Shade. She's principal at Starbridge Advisors and currently serving as interim SVP and CIO at Boston Children's Hospital. Welcome, Sue. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, when I started the CIO podcast, first on my list was Sue Shade. So I'm glad that you're, you're here. I mean, you have such a, a depth of experience across many organizations. So I'm excited to learn more about you. But uh, before we begin you know, and dive into some topics, tell us a little bit about yourself and Starbridge Advisors. And of course, you know, your current interim role is at Boston Children's. Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, I have been in health IT management for 35 plus years at this point. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, (laughs) uh, At the CIO level from about 2000 on, uh, serving at Brigham and Women's Hospital for almost 13 years, then University of Michigan uh, Health System for the hospitals and health centers for a couple of years. And then I started down a path of doing Uh, interim management consulting and leadership coaching in 2016. And late in 16, I started with two colleagues, David Muntz and Russ Rudish, Starbridge Advisors. And that's what we do, interim management, IT consulting, and um, leadership coaching. We're a health IT advisory firm. We've got about 40 people on our team now who are at that senior level in IT available to our clients. I uh, wanted more flexibility in my life. I wanted to be able to move back to New England where kids and grandkids are. And uh, that was really what drove me to leave that permanent CIO work world to uh, go down down this path. And it's been a great five years at this point. I've done several interims. I'm doing the interim right now at Boston Children's Hospital. I've been there since mid-March as their um, interim CIO. Uh, Boston Children's Hospital. Um, I'm sure you have heard of it. It is the leading pediatric hospital, number one. Uh, we're 1,400, four, 1,400, excuse me, 415 bed comprehensive uh, center for pediatric care, about 2.7 billion in revenue and about 12,000 employees, um, not including the medical staff. We have a, a thousand plus specialists full-time. Um, and then we have our you know, community of care network with um, community physicians. So um, I've been there for a couple months, focusing in on helping them with their EHR strategy at this point and continuing projects that are on the strategic plan and actively working with the search firm to find the right permanent person to take this position. It's not me at this point in my career. And um, I'm hoping that we can, in short order, find who that right next person is. And I will do the handoff to them. That's great. Well, I find it fascinating. I want to dive into the interim eventually, but I I love that you've been in the kind of CIO role since 2000, which I think is is fascinating because 2000 Y2K, I bet you have some interesting Y2K stories, but but you've been, you know, from Y2K and kind of that culture of the time, right? Which I think most of us can think back to our experience with Y2K to Mm -hmm. today, you know, how has the CIO uh, role really evolved since then? And and kind of where do you see it headed in the future? Sure, sure. So, you know, a couple of trends that I'm seeing now, I'm seeing more people who are a dual role. They're chief innovation officer and chief information officer. Information officer and chief digital officer. Uh, 
or their chief information officer, and they're taking on some expanded operational leadership roles. So that's 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 one thing I think we're seeing. Um, it, it's also a much more um, strategic role than it was at one point, and um, you know I think I, I, I think it's very person and organization dependent. I don't think. You know, I'm, I'm telling you trends I'm seeing and, and hearing from colleagues, but I think it really depends on the organization, whether those kinds of roles are being built out individually or they're combined in people. And where is the CIO? Where do they want to go? Where are they capable of going? Um, so, you know, it's going to continue to evolve, but being a strategic thinker, uh, being able to run a really good, solid, strong, reliable you know, um, uh, ecosystem infrastructure framework uh, within IT is critical, but um, much more strategic and more relationship focused than I think it was at one point. And do you think the CIO should be that person that's really driving the innovation? Uh, you know, I, I had this interesting conversation with, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend Drex, I think you know him quite well yeah, as yeah. well, uh, you know, that, you know, he's like, it was often easier for me if the IT staff brought the innovation to me or the clinical staff brought it to me and then I championed it. You know, how do you see kind of the balance of CIO driving innovation versus maybe some other staff doing it? Yeah, well, first off, I think innovation should not just be in one person. It's got to be the mindset of the organization and then everybody in the organization. And then, you know, depending on how you want to structure it, whether it's an extension of what IT does and the CIO's role, role whether it's um, a separate chief innovation officer, again, I'd see it, I, I think it's very organization dependent. Uh, at Boston Children's Hospital, we have a nationally recognized chief innovation officer, John Brownstein who um, is doing some great stuff with his team, partnering closely with um, my group, uh, the IT group. Um, I think when there was probably a point in time where it was a little rocky, um, but there's been a lot of work to improve it. And I, you know, when I say a little rocky, I think it's um, often what you see in an organization, John, is that if a, there's a chief innovation officer and a team focused on innovation and it's not IT, IT may go, wait a second, what about us? to do the fun stuff right yeah. everyone wants to do the fun stuff that's true i mean does innovation exist without it i mean sure it can but <laughs> uh, almost every innovation project has an it element right absolutely absolutely and that's where um you know it it's whatever those new new ahead of the market things are that a new, an organization is doing on their own or in partnership with some startup there is an IT component of support at some point along the way, which is why that relationship has to be a good, strong partnership. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've run into some CIOs though, who just want to be the turn the lights on CIO. They don't want to be the innovation. So I guess maybe then, like you said, organizationally, could that work or is that kind of a bad long-term strategy? <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I think it's important that, that as a CIO or any leader, you know, you know where you're good, you know what you want, and um, you're working within that. You want to expand and grow it, then, then do so. And again, it depends on the organization, what the organization needs, um, you know, and who the um, players are within the organization. Yeah. I love that you said you need to create a culture 
of, of innovation, not just one person or, yeah. or even one center, right? I mean, yeah. to your point, are there some things that you would suggest to do that, that a CIO could really take away and say, oh, if I did this, you know, anything you've, you've had experience with that you're like, this has helped me achieve that goal. Yeah, you know, I'd go back to my Michigan days. And um, one of our leaders who was responsible for quality and the lean initiatives and efforts, he would say he wanted to create 25,000 problem solvers. Mm -hmm. So every employee in the organization to be a problem solver. So you could say, I want to create, I want, you know, and that you do, you want problem solvers, right? And you want innovators. Um, you know, so again, to have that mindset, I, I don't want to do an analogy, but I'm going to do it to security. Okay. Chief information security officer, CISO, is not the only one who owns and can be thinking about security. You need every employee in your organization to have a security mindset. Yeah. Right? So similar. It, it, you know, uh, uh, a security aware culture and an innovative culture hmm. and a problem solving culture. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it described in some, for, for, yeah, in other areas that you need to put it into their job description. <laughs> Do you, you know, I think there's something powerful about that, right? That, you know, hey, security is part of your job description. Yeah. Innovation is part of your yeah. job description problem. So, yeah, I think we could take it too far probably, but yeah. <laughs> that's interesting to look at it. You know, when you think about innovation, many people say, oh, so you're talking startups, right? Yeah. Because the you know the stodgy health systems they <laughs> they aren't innovative right yeah you know, some some people might say yeah. I don't know if I totally agree but uh, you know how, and when you look at startups what do they really need to understand uh, you know about what how they should help you in your role as CIO and how they can really pitch to you more effectively because it's fascinating you want to bring innovation to the organization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, startups maybe don't understand the culture. So what can a startup do to, you know, to better pitch a CIO and, and help you be effective at your role? Yeah. Let's go back to the problem solver point, right? You want everybody to be a problem solver. CIOs are problem solvers. So you want to understand from the startup what problem are they trying to solve or not, right? When people come to you with a solution that might be very... Um, you know, the new bright, shiny object, but you have to go, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Is this a gap that we have or not? So that's important. I think it's also important for um, startups to recognize that CIOs have, they already have a very complex environment with, you know, you hear about the hundreds and hundreds or thousands of applications that in the inventory that any, any one organization has. So um, really, you know, from my perspective, you want to minimize the number of um, one-offs and bolt-ons, and you want your core suite of products to do most of what you need with some, some add-ons where you have gaps. Um, so I think startups need to keep that in mind too, that they're, they're bringing in some kind of one-off, you know, bolt-on to solve one particular problem or a few problems that maybe can be solved by a current uh, product suite or platform that's in-house. So they're dealing with that. The other thing I, I think is important um, for startups to realize, don't underestimate what you're going to need from IT. You know, startups, like they get to whatever leader in the organization and sell it to them. And it's like, oh, we can get it in quick. You know, it takes us two days to implement, yada, yada, right? It's like, okay, really? And I talked to a lot of startups, 
you know, from a Starbridge perspective, startups that want to work with us and, and want us to do introductions or want us to help them with go to market because we do that too. Um, so I would encourage startups, make sure um, you're not underestimating what's involved from IT to get your solution in place and that you're involving IT early because eventually IT is going to be involved in some way. Yeah. yeah. I, it- I love when they say, oh yeah, two days. Uh-huh. You're like, well, you have to do a security review. And on average, that takes about two weeks yep. to two months, depending yep. on the organization. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, well, your two days, you know, <laughs> it's it's fascinating. I, I think your, your uh, comment though about being a problem solver is interesting, but I think it's the challenge from a startup perspective is how do they know what problems you're trying to solve? Uh, you know, where could they look to understand that? I mean, obviously, you know, that, that's, I guess, why we need conferences back together. We can, you know, enjoy a, a nice beverage and I can learn your problems, but any other thoughts for them? Well, you know, with my Starbridge advisors hat on, I sell, right? I, I, not now, I mean, I'm focused on, on, on uh, Boston Children's during this time, but um, when I'm not, doing an interim or that busy with my own consulting work through Starbridge, you know, I try to get a lot of calls in with CIOs and I don't start with, here's what I have. Uh I start with, tell me what's on your agenda. What are you working on? Where are your gaps? Where might you have needs, right? As in what problem are you trying to solve that maybe I can help you solve? So um, I think it's important um, in making the pitch from startups They've got a solution, but they've got to hear, does the organization need it? And does the organization have a problem that their solution will solve? Yeah, great advice. I've always said the ideal startup is someone from outside the industry who can bring some technology from outside the industry and doesn't have the preconceived biases of healthcare with Mm -hmm. a gray haired person that has all the connections to the right people. (laughs) You bring them together. And to me, that's, that's some magic. Okay. Okay. So I've become a gray haired person. Are you pointing that out? Like COVID no, no, I mean, I'm speaking <laughs> generically, but <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> okay. Don't have many years I have in the industry, so yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, it's about those connections, right? Yes, it's yes. The language that can call them up and say, "What are you really dealing with?" Yep. Right? Just like you described. So yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about your interim CIO role a little bit. Yeah. You're currently interim CIO. You've been it a few times before. So when does it make sense for an organization to do an interim CIO? And, and really, what should the role of interim CIO be? And, and maybe what shouldn't it be? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I love this topic. I talk to people a lot about doing interims. Uh, people who are interested in doing interims, people who need interims. And if I may, I'm just going to also put a pitch in here for my weekly blog post. Oh, of course. It's, it's Health IT Connect, and you can find it at suchade.com. I've written a lot about interims. It's one of the topics I've covered uh, a lot um, in general, and then based on my experience, because every time I'm in an interim, I have more things to write about. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, it's a great blog. Everyone should check it out. We'll be sure to link to it in the okay, Thank you. Thank you. Um, so when, when, when is an interim needed? So, you know, one path is there's no obvious internal person to step up and fill a gap during a transition period. Um, another, um, whether there is or isn't, maybe the organization really needs an external view. 
it's time maybe to shake some things up, to look at things differently. So they're gonna bring in an external person. Um, I think in terms of the role, what it is, isn't, it really depends on the organization. You know, there's the keep the seat warm, which I don't feel like I've ever really been in a keep the seat warm situation. Okay. You can have an internal person keep the seat warm. Yeah. Um, and then there can be, you know, turnaround on the other extreme, you know, in terms of some changes that need to be made. Um, so it just, it depends on the organization. You know, one thing that I really enjoy about doing interims and I tell people who, you know, ping me and want to talk about, is it something that they'd be interested in doing? There's a combination of consulting and operations, right? You do need to make sure that things are running okay day to day, you're dealing with the issues, but then they're looking for someone with that outside view experience. Um, there's a consulting hat. And the thing about that is um, the organization is eager to hear what you think. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the questions that I ask when I do what I would call meet and greets with all the key leaders in the, in the beginning is one question I ask is, I'm here for an interim period. How can I have the greatest impact during an interim period? And typically I will hear a few things that they're like, oh my God, if you could just fix this in a short time, that'd be great. But maybe you can't, uh -huh. how long you're here. But then I also hear speak the truth, right? Tell us, tell us, tell us like it is. You have nothing to lose. So, because <laughs> you're yeah. going to be gone. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So, so there, so that's important. I think another thing is, um, I, uh, as an interim, I talk about having focus areas. I don't call them goals and objectives because to me, goals and objectives have a particular time frame. I'm going to accomplish this by then. And you don't know how long as an interim you'll be there, right? It, it depends on the search and when the new person comes in. So to me, they're focus areas. I may get some key things done. I may just move the ball forward on those key things, on some key things, or I may just tee it up. It's not right for me to take it further, but I'll tee it up, kind of get it ready because the permanent person really needs to take it forward. So I think about it that way too. Um, I think it's really important that the interim helps with the search because the interim knows, doesn't know the organization like people on the search committee or your boss who's trying to hire a permanent, but they get a feel for what's working, what's not working, what's needed in the next leader. So um, that's an important piece. And, you know, I, I'd say four things in terms of um, anybody thinking about doing an interim that are key. You have to be able to step into the situation with confidence. Mm. You have to be able to get up to speed quickly. You know, people talk about drinking from the fire hose. I mean, you got to do it quickly. You're not, you don't have a six months runway. You have a short runway to know what's going on and start making a uh, difference. You need to be able to build relationships. I know being an extrovert helps to build the relationships with the key people and, and you have to gain respect um, in a short period of time while you're there. So that's my, those are some of the key points on interims and I, yeah. <laughs> that's great advice. I mean, how much can you really accomplish, you know, in an intro? I mean, I guess it depends on how long it goes, but is it really about just positioning it for that next person in, in most cases? No, no, no. Um, no, it's really a combination. Some things that need to get done and that you can get done things that you're picking up and moving forward, move the ball along. And um, you know, 
back on that first one, maybe it's some problems that have been there for a while and you and they've been identified, but don't really fix them and you kind of zero in on them. And then, and then things that you might tee up, like a reorganization. I was asked at our first um, staff meeting, we had a, we have quarterly staff meetings for IT. Uh-huh. And we, they had just had one a while before I started in mid-March. So I said, well, I want to do one within a few weeks so that I can introduce myself and take sure. Q&A. And one of the questions was, are you going to do a reorg? It's like, no, no, not, <laughs> not in a short interim while we're trying to hire some. Would I do that? I mean, would I have some opinions on that to give the permanent person based sure. on being there for however long? Yeah. But would I do that? No, typically not. Gotcha. So yeah, like it's that. interesting. You're almost always balancing, how, you know, what should I queue up for the next person? Because, you know, a reorg, it makes sense. The next person does that because they, yeah. you, know, you don't want to do a reorg and then they have to do another reorg because right. they have a different preference. Right. Right. Uh, right. But there may be some things where you're like, well, I mean, you know, Hey, let's push forward telehealth. Cause guess what? You have to be ready for yeah. it or yeah. <laughs> whatever. It might be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, as one of the the early female healthcare CIOs, you know, uh, I, I haven't met any anyone previous to you. Maybe there's a few that I need to learn about. But what's been your experiences, good and bad, with with being a, a woman CIO? Um, let me give you a couple points in time in terms of my career as a female leader and. And it's IT probably and evolved, I guess, over this time. It has. I'm also gonna I'm also gonna pitch the blog again because if anybody goes to it and looks at the category women and work, I've I've written a lot about particular challenges for women and, and career advice. So I said I've been in health IT for over 35 years, health IT management, right? I started as a programmer, did that for a couple of years. So if I go back way back to the 80s, mm-hmm. I was in management, I had young children. I was the only woman on the IT leadership team for an extended period of time. Sure. That was a whole different period. My male colleagues kind of didn't get it, weren't that supportive. They could hang around the office late in the day, schmooze with the boss, strategize, yada, yada. I seemed to be the only one who had to go pick up kids at daycare. <laughs> so, I mean, it was that world. It's not uh-huh. like that now, right? right. It's uh-huh. much more even in, in, in some of those things. Um, yeah, so fast forward, when I got the job um, as the CIO at Brigham and Women's Hospital, reporting to John Glasser as the CIO for partners now called Mass General Brigham or MGB. Uh-huh. John was an incredibly supportive male boss, three daughters of his own. I think he kind of always got what are some of the challenges of my girls growing up and my girls eventually having careers. Um, so extremely supportive. It was a much more diverse leadership team that I was on. That's good. Now, fast forward to now within healthcare organizations, you're not the only woman leader in the business world. I am still very often the only woman on the call. Hmm. Okay. So I have two male colleagues who are the other principals in Starbridge, David and Russ. Um, We have a lot of partner firms that we work with. Um, often still the only woman on the call. Uh, So it hasn't changed enough, (laughs) bottom line. And, you know, I think, you know, we have to be role models for women. We have to lift up women and we have to, um, when I say be role models, you know, I do believe you can't, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. Okay. We have a female vice president right now in this country. What has that done for a lot of little girls, right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, right. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I made it through all those challenging times, some ugly stuff with some men who thought, you know, they could squash me and, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, why aren't there more women, women CIOs, but I think it's interesting your comments about the vendor side as well, you know, and, and what should be done so that there's more of them in the future. Are there things that you'd love to see, you know, I don't know if it's changed or if it's maybe a, a more of a commitment to something or yeah. what could be done? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to first give you a kudos and then I'm going to challenge you. So my kudos to you, John, is when you asked me to do a panel um, at one of your conferences um, and you had a commitment to no mantles. I mean, I applaud you as a conference organizer that you have a commitment to no mantles. That's a step, right? Uh, It'd be good if there wasn't one token woman on a panel, but Many. Right? <laughs> and we actually did an all female, we did an all-female panel of CIOs and we didn't talk about women, right? And women's issues. We talked about what CIOs talk about, but it was an all-female CIO panel. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, but my challenge, um, and then I will get into this a little bit more in terms of your question. I would challenge you to ask men that same question. Ask white men in particular, why are there not more women CIOs and people of color? Mm-hmm. Because we have to solve this together, right? In terms of diversity. Um, in terms of diversity, we need to think broadly. Um, you know, if you think about it, it starts with interviewing, right? And if you say, we're not gonna start the interviews until we have a slate that is diverse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you, the people who are involved in the search and the um, interviewers that there is diversity. I mean, there's so many levels at which um, we have to commit to diversity. Um, I am participating now in the CHIME Diversity and Inclusion Committee, um, doing some really they're doing some we they doing some really good work there in terms of raising awareness. Um, so I'm happy to be part of that. I'm I'm really happy to see that the organization where I'm in around Boston Children's Hospital has a very strong commitment to equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, yeah, and we live it. Uh, and that's important. Um, you know, I think working on the pipeline, um, uh, those early in their career, how do we lift people up um, again so that we have diversity as you go up those goes go up that ladder? Um, the other thing I would say, um, maybe maybe to your question about why not more women, I think there was a point in time where um, CIOs were coming from the technical ranks. Yeah, um, I think that's far less true now. And but if they were coming from the technical ranks, I mean, if if you look the technical ranks. Yep. We're, we're much more male dominated, right? The pipeline but, was all men. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. how yeah. did you do it? <laughs> yeah, but that's changing. And I would love for you to ask the next male CIO you talk to that question about diversity. Well, I'll take that. You, you know me, I'm, I'm, I like these types of questions. Uh, I've challenged you, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love a good challenge too. I guess that's maybe a message for all women, men like challenges, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> at least I do. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's great. I, I, I'm going to do that. I'll ask, I'll ask a number of them, uh, you know, to get their perspectives, because I think it would be a good question. It would be interesting to hear their answers. And, yeah. and what I, are I mean, they doing? 
Yeah, I think what you said is is so interesting because the interviewing is 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 great and important. But I mean, we saw that in the NFL when they had to interview, you know, I think it's called the Rooney rule, right? Where it had to be a person of color that was interviewed. But mm -hmm. if they didn't have the credentials, right? Because they didn't fill the pipeline the right way, mm -hmm. then they'd interview, but then they'd never get the job. So I, I think you, I love that you touched on both of those because if the pipeline of experience isn't good so that then when they actually are in the interview they can step up and you know and perform well and have the credentials i, I think you know it's, i love that you pointed out both of those things uh and then you know like you said i i think in this series that we've done on the cio podcast um many of the cios have come from the physician background and there's a lot more female physicians now that are getting mm -hmm. informatics and stuff so mm -hmm. uh, i think to your point that's helped some uh, mm -hmm. uh you know there's certainly yeah. more work to be done. Yeah, I can only think of one female CIO who's a physician, but I can think of a lot of male CIOs who are physicians. Hmm. Yeah. Closing my eyes to see if that is really the only one I can think of. <laughs> hey. Yeah, well, and we'll oh, see how it is. Two, two. Yeah. Two female CIOs that are physicians. Yeah. What's more sad about what you just said, though? is that you can think of every female CIO. <laughs> like, this is the bigger problem. And, <laughs> no, I can't think of every female CIO. I was trying to, I was trying to in my head do that, you know, intersection of, of uh, physician and female and CIO. So That's that diagram. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's more work to be done and hopefully we can do our part at healthcare IT today. You know, it's That's been important good. for us to have the, the male and the female, you know, we want to, we had some international, you know, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, as we wrap up, uh, what's some advice you'd give to, to really any aspiring CIO, although I'm sure women will, will yeah. listen with rapt attention in particular because, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's what advice would you uh, offer? Yeah, so to any aspiring CIO, um, find a mentor, network, find your role models, constant learning, um, you know, just be open to the possibilities in terms of, you know, maybe you move sideways for a while before you move up, you know, broaden your experience. Um, I think it particularly important for women role models uh, back to you can't be what you can't see point. Um, you know, again, in terms of women, I would say um, an article that I really found fascinating um, and it's several years old now is the confidence gap. And I know there's a book too. Okay. Uh, confidence gap in the Atlantic magazine back to 2014. Uh, there's a lot of data in it about boys and girls, men and women. And I think it's, 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 um, it's definitely worth a read. And one of the data points in there, and I might not get it quite right, is that men will go for a job if they're 60% qualified. Uh, women will only go for a job if they're hundred percent qualified. Yeah. So, you know, I would say to women, go for it. Don't wait to think I have to check every single box before I'm willing to put myself forward because um, your male uh, colleagues aren't thinking that way. They're putting themselves forward. Yeah. Great advice. And it uh, reminds me of a, a previous episode where interestingly, a male CIO uh, said that when he was going to, when he was early in his career, one of his mentors said, well, when you become a CIO, and he was like, what? You know, like, he was blown away by the, you know, which is interesting that, you know, he, he suffered with something that I think many 
many people and you know i think women to a large extent you know is hearing and believing that they could become cio mm -hmm. and so i love the mentorship i did as well because his mentor helps him and i think we need to do that with uh maybe more women to help them know yeah you're capable yeah That's absolutely absolutely Excellent. Well, Sue, you don't disappoint. I appreciate you coming on the CIO podcast here at Healthcare IT Today. Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to find all the rest of the episodes in the series, you can be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Sue. Great. Thanks, John.